Ephesians 5, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 5, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 20 this morning. And so let's read that passage together responsively. I'll begin in 15 by myself. We'll pick up together in 16. And as is our custom, we'll read like that down through verse 20. Verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Together, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the sermon this morning is the last sermon in our series, My Work for God, His Calling on My Life. We'll be looking at this title, Finding God's Unknown Will. Finding God's unknown will. What does that even mean? Well, we're going to look at that in great detail in just a moment. And by the time you leave this morning, you'll both understand what finding God's unknown will means. And you'll understand how to find it. So let's pray. We'll get into the message. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for how you're working in this place at this time in history. Lord, we pray that you'd continue to use our church to be a beacon of light in a dark world, to continue to shed abroad the light of the truth uh, where error and lies and deceit and Satan's work is so uh, great. Lord, this morning we need you to meet with us. Spirit of God, we believe you've already moved in our hearts through song. Uh, the choir singing, How Great Thou Art, and uh, the congregation singing, Complete in Thee, and Majesty, and My Chains Are Gone. Lord, uh, we, our hearts have been moved by the singing, and now, Lord, stir our hearts by Your Spirit with the preaching of Your Word. May we leave here today committed to love You and live for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you attend a, a church like this one long enough you're going to hear phrases from time to time that are rather uncommon outside of church. If you were to use some of these phrases with an unchurched person, they would look at you like you had two heads. They would look at you sideways. How many of you remember when you first started coming to church? Maybe you started coming to church in your adult years, and pastors would use phrases and you would think, what does, what is he talking about up there? All right, here, let me give you some examples of some of these phrases, okay? Uh, have you been saved? If you don't go to church, you're like, what? Been saved from what? What are you, what are you talking about, all right? Here's another one. Uh, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Someone says, uh, and we say amen to that because Jesus' blood has washed away our sins. But if you've never been to church and you don't know about the blood of Jesus and what that means, are you, are, are, what? Are you washed in the... Blood of the Lamb. Um, uh, here's one we say, I asked Jesus in my heart. I asked Jesus in my heart. And all of these so far are based in Bible. In fact, most of the ones I'm going to give you are based in, in, out of the Bible, but can seem peculiar to someone who is unchurched. Here's another one. God works in mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways. How about this one? Um, um, well, well, hold on before I give it to you. If you see someone who is fervent in the work of the church, you may say, that man or that woman is on fire for God. On fire for God. And uh, if you think of that in like a literal sense, stop, drop, and roll. Get a fire extinguisher, right? He's on fire for God. On fire for God. Here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, does anyone want to give a testimony? A testimony. That word testimony outside of church is almost never used, right? I was talking to Pam Dalton some time back, and, and she, I can't remember the word she threw out, but uh, she said that word right there clued me in that they were probably a believer because you don't use that word unless you're a Christian. And so many of these phrases are, are innocent, but they are highly overused and oftentimes misunderstood. Here's another phrase that I believe fits that category. It's the phrase, the will of God. The will of God. Maybe one of the most abused phrases in the entire Bible. 
uh, we use this at our convenience, right? We use it at our convenience. Uh, the pastor says, uh, would you like to teach a class? And you come back and say, well, I just don't know that's God's will for me right now. Right? Uh, you, you get asked to help in the nursery. Well, no, it's not God's will. I, I, I prayed and God said it's not His will for me to work in the nursery right now. All right? it's, not, it's not His will. It's not His will. It's not His will. You'll see someone leave a church ministry somewhere and they'll say it was God's will for me to move on. It was God's will for me to marry this person. It's God's will. And, and, and when there's a disagreement on what someone should do, or how someone should behave, the tiebreaker is, well, God's will for me is, and who are you to tell me what God's will is? It's a phrase that is overused, and I believe is abused. Is abused. It is a physical phrase. It is a biblical phrase, but we should not abuse it. We should not abuse it. Uh, I don't believe it is God's will for me to teach this class, help in the nursery, work in the bus route, go to a particular uh, church, uh, etc. Fill in the blank. Oftentimes, this phrase becomes what I'll call a cop-out. God's will, defined this way, God's will is simply understanding God's desires. God's desires. In fact, you could substitute the word will for desire. God's desire. God's desires. Um, what is the desire of God for you? What is the desire of God for me? Um, well, we know that the two greatest commandments in Scripture express the desire of God, the will of God. And what are those? Love the Lord. Say it with me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might, and with all thy strength. What is the second greatest commandment? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What is the desire of God? Well, it is that we love God, and we love others. The will of God, or desire of God, can be broken into two categories. There is the known will of God. The known will of God. Now, in this series, um, where we're looking at my work for God, His calling on my life, we have put a lot of focus on the known will of God out of Scripture. We've looked at my ministry at work, my ministry at church, and my ministry at home. I have put three of the four sermons in this series, I have pulled from what we know to be in Scripture to be God's will for our life. Spelled out in the pages of the Bible is God's desire for me and you on how we behave at work and how we behave at church and how we behave within the confines of the institution of the home. Uh, but there is another part of the will of God, and that is the unknown will of God. The unknown Will of God. Oftentimes, uh, uh, rather, questions that fall under the unknown will of God or desires of God would include where does God want me to work? Where does, maybe you're in between jobs right now, where does God want me to work? Uh, What career does God want me to pursue? Uh, Who does, for those of you that are single, who does God want me to marry? Whether you are 12, 11, 12, or you're in your 20s or 30s and you're searching, your 20s, 30s searching for a spouse, or 12, 13, wondering who that will be in the future, that is part of the unknown will of God. How many children, maybe you're married, how many children does God want us to have? Where does God want us to live? What car or home does God want me to buy? Anything that is not clearly laid out in Scripture where God uh, would uh, want to have a say in your life, that is the unknown will of God. Now, did you ever stop and think how thick the Bible would be if God told every person exactly what He wanted them to do with their life in the Bible, right? Open to the book of Matthew. And all of the Matthews that have ever lived can turn to the book of Matthew 
and find their name and their birth date and find out exactly who they're to marry and what they're to do and where they're to go to college or if they're to go to college. And, and, and on down the list, uh, every day, how, how thick would the Bible be if, if, if you had to index it by name? And so, listen, we have the known will of God, the principles in the Bible, and then there are there is the unknown will of God. Uh, what does God want me to do with these things? Now, uh, all of us should be concerned about these things, but teenagers who want to please God can become especially concerned about these things. They might wonder, especially as they're approaching the 12th grade, where do I go to college? What do I study at college? And even the question, should I go to college? What do, uh, Rather, who does God want me to marry? Does God want me to marry? These questions can be quite intimidating to a young adult. I find it interesting that the decisions that we make that are most crucial to the direction of our life, we make at an age when we don't know anything. How many adults realize that? How many, how many of you adults when you were kids didn't realize that? You thought that you knew everything, right? When you're 18, you got the world by the tail and you think, yeah, I got this. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. And then you get to be... You know, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you go, I was dumb as a box of rocks when I was 18 years old. I thought I knew, but I didn't. And um, I find it fascinating that we make some of life's most crucial decisions at an age where we know so little and have so little wisdom. These questions can be quite intimidating to a a young adult. By way of introduction, here are some uh, principles to consider, all right? Uh, You may need a separate piece of paper to write these down but I would recommend you do it. Or wait till they're all up on the screen and take out your smartphone and take a picture. Okay, how do we find the unknown will of God? First, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. If you don't want to know God's unknown will for your life, you're not going to figure it out. It's got to start here. You, got, you, you need to want to pursue God. And have a heart for God so that He can reveal that to you. Okay, to speak to the adults in the room, let's say you're in the market to buy a home. Have you even stopped to consider that God might have a home that He wants you to buy? Have you even included God into the equation? Or did you just come with the list of it needs to have this many bedrooms and this many garage doors and this many square feet and it has to have these accessories or fill in the blank? We go into these decisions as though they are unspiritual when all decisions are spiritual. And so it's a matter of the heart. Next notice, it's a matter of desire. It's a matter of desire. If you don't have a desire... Uh, To find God's unknown will, guess what? You won't find it. You won't find it. My kids sometimes will lose things and um, they'll say, Dad, I can't find my math book or I can't find my baseball glove or I can't find my necklace or whatever. And I'll say, well, did you look for it? Well, yeah, I looked for it. Well, how long did you look for it? Well, a long time. Well, they don't ever want to give you an answer that can be quantified in a number, right? It's just some ambiguous answer and and I say, well, okay, well, keep looking for it. Keep looking for it. And they give up. And you know what? If they give up, they're not going to find it. Sometimes the unknown will of God, God wants us to work at it a little bit. And we, don't want, we really don't want it or we would find it. Uh, some years ago, we lost the key to Angela's vehicle. We were down to one key and we lost it. And it's one of these where the only way to get another key made is you'd have to have the vehicle towed to a dealership. And then have the key made. And I mean, we turned everything upside down to find that key. We took beds apart. We pulled everything away from the wall. We dumped out every drawer. We went through the 95 purses my wife has and dumped every one of those out. And uh, we checked in shoes. I mean, we... I'm picking on my wife pretty hard today. I missed her. She was gone all week at youth conference. I'm thrilled to have her back. Uh, But uh, we, uh, we, uh, we looked everywhere. And you know what? It took us close to a month to find that key. But guess what? We found the key. We found the key. And it was in the most obvious place possible. Isn't that usually how that works? But you have to have a desire. If you don't have a desire to find God's will, you're not going to find His will for your life. It is a matter of time. 
Last Sunday night, I preached a sermon entitled, In God's Perfect Time. Tonight, I'm preaching a sermon about doing God's work God's way. Those two sermons are going to fit together like Lego pieces. But the point of the message last week, without re-preaching the sermon, is that God wants us to have, um, to have things, but not in our time, in His time. You know what? When you're 13 or 14, it's not time to get married. It's just not. So you know what you don't need to be focused on? You don't need to be focused on dating to get married. If you can't arrive at the destination, then don't get in the car. Amen? Hey, guess what? If you can't afford to buy a house, then you don't need to be looking at Zillow at all the houses. That's going to bring about covetousness. Amen? Some of you will pull up on a dealership and you'll drive three, four, five cars. You know you can't afford to buy that car. You know what you're doing is you're, you're, you're not waiting on God's timing. And you know what a lot of credit card debt is? A lot of credit card debt is I want that now even though I can't afford to have it. God's unknown will is revealed in His time, not ours. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of prayer. When I was a teenager, I wanted to go to one Bible college and my parents wanted me to go to a different Bible college. And I am a dogmatic dictatorial, uh, 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 driven, doing person. And I just had my mind made up. I am going here to college. And my parents were like, well, if you really are set on it, we're not going to stop you, but we don't think that's where you should go. I did not want to break my parents' heart. I didn't want to go against their, their desire, but I had my desire. And there was my parents' desire. And which one was the Lord's desire? And I, I was in tumult and turmoil over where to go to college for several months uh, over that. And I got on my knees and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And you know what? On my knees in prayer, God showed me and revealed to me where to go to college. He And, and my parents were right. I, I hate to throw that out there, but my parents are right. It's a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of prayer. Uh, you say, well, I don't know where I should work. I don't know what career I should pursue. I don't know whose God's will is in marriage. I don't know uh, uh, whether I should buy this house or that house or this car or that car. I don't know God's unknown will in this area. What do I do? Get on your knees and bathe it in prayer. It's a matter of counsel. It's a matter of counsel. Now, let me uh, say here that everything is in balance. It's in balance. Um, there are pastors who I uh, was exposed to in my childhood years who wanted to make every decision for every church member. Don't you buy a car without going and talking to the pastor. Don't buy a house without going and talking to the pastor. Don't, not, teenagers are not allowed to go to college until they have the pastor's approval. That is silly. That is flat silly. You know, you know what my role is in your life? If, you're, if I'm your pastor and you're a regular member here or you consider me your pastor, it is my job, it is my duty to advise you spiritually. And that's it. It's not my job to dictate your life and tell you how to live and what to do. That is not, I don't want to do that. You know what? I've got my own decisions to work through. I don't need to work through your decisions as well. Amen? You have, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and you first go to Him. But can I tell you that when you get to a point and you need to make a big decision in your life, and it is a life-changing decision, the Bible still says that in a multitude of counselors there is safety. That doesn't mean you shop around for a counselor to tell you what you want to hear. You go to counselors that tell you what you don't want to hear. You're going to push back on your thought process and you listen to them and you take that in mind. You get the heart of several counselors that help you with something. It's a matter of counsel. Finding the unknown will of God. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of desire. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of counsel. Notice here, it's a matter of determination. It's a matter of determination. We greatly lack ambition today. Greatly lack it. People give up too easy. That goes back to that desire. Uh, but you know what? You can have desire and then that flame burns out and you just give up and quit. And oftentimes I think that we're one prayer away from getting God's answer. We're one more effort away from, from finding God's unknown will. You must determine that you are going to uncover the unknown will of God and you're going to pursue it and live it. It's a matter of determination. 
Let, let's pretend that I could give you, uh, I could let you live your life twice. All right? Twice. The first time through, you follow, watch this, you follow your heart's desire. You do it your way. Right? Pursue your ambitions and dreams. And the second time through, you live your life following God's desire for your life. Right? You lay down your will and say, God, how do you want me to do this? Where do you want me to go to school? What do you want me to do with my life? Who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to live? How long do you want me to work there? How would you have me raise my kids? How would you have me be an influence at the church? Lord, I'm going to do it your way. All right, so you've lived your life twice. Once your way and once God's way. Now, let's bring you back to that fork in the road. All right, let me ask you a question. If you could live, them out twi- live your life out twice, once your way, once God's way, which one do you think would be the better result? How many of you vote God's way? Hold them up. You vote God's way. Okay? Then why are you doing it your way? Why are you doing it your way? Now, I'm not saying everyone here is. How many teenagers believe that God's way is better than your way? Raise your hand. Hold them up. Don't be ashamed. You believe God's way is better. Are you doing it your way or are you doing it God's way? Right? You're going to follow His plan or your plan? You see, we're not busy with God's desire and figuring that out because we're busy pursuing our desire. If we're going to find God's unknown will or desires for our life, then we must first. Uh, then there are some truths we must first consider. I, I'd like for us to look at Ephesians five fifteen through twenty and consider five truths, five thoughts out of this passage that will help us understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, number one, if we're going to figure out God's will, we must first consider our steps. Our steps. Look at verse fifteen of chapter five. It says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly just simply means carefully, with great attention. God has a journey that each Christian is taking uh, through their life, through this life. As we walk through life, God has a strong desire that we do it His way. Notice letter A, how we walk. How we walk. All right? Let's do, let's do a little bit of a Bible study here. Get your Bibles out and get them ready. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. Second Corinthians chapter number 5. Look with me at verse number 7. If you're there, read it with me. Here we go. Ready? For we walk by faith, not by sight. How we walk. All right, the Bible says back in verse 15 of our passage, See then that ye walk circumspectly. So if I'm going to walk in line with the Lord, I'm going to walk in line with His desires, how I walk matters. We are to walk by faith. We're to walk by faith. Faith is believing. Faith is waiting on God. Faith is not scheming uh, my way into things. We are to walk by faith. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse 16. How are we to walk? We're to walk by faith. We're going to read this one out loud together as soon as you get there. So here are lots of pages turning. Galatians. So if you were in Corinthians, just one book to the right. Okay, ready? Here we go. Galatians 5, 16. Here we go. Ready? This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So not only am I to walk by faith, I'm to walk in the Spirit. That means that the Spirit of God 
is to fill me, is to control me, is to move me, is to use me for His work. Oftentimes, we're not busy with letting the Spirit of God fill us and move us and show us. We're busy uh, grieving and quenching the Spirit of God by the way we live. We follow the flesh and not the Spirit. And then we say, well, God, how come you won't show me your unknown will? And God says, because you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not walking by faith. You're walking according to sight. Uh, you're walking according to the flesh. Turn over one book to the right, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Just where we were a moment ago. Ephesians 5, look at verse number 2. Uh, not only are we to walk by faith, uh, not only are we to walk in the Spirit, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 2 says that we're to walk in love. Ephesians 5 2 says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God. Everything I do ought not to be to love myself. It ought to be to love God and love others. My steps each day, as I get down to the end of my day, and I pillow my head at night, I should look back over my day and see that my steps were used to love God and love others. Not love myself. Not put myself up on a pedestal, but I am to walk by faith, not by sight. I'm to walk in the Spirit. I'm to walk in in love. We're looking at our steps. If we're going to find God's unknown will for our life, then we must, we must look at our steps. Letter A, how we walk. Letter B, why we walk. Why we walk. All right, back to the left. If you're in Ephesians, back to the left before the book of 1 Corinthians, you find the book of Romans. Turn over to Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 6 and look at verse number 4. All right, Pastor, you, you're telling us that we're to walk by faith. We're telling us we're to walk in the Spirit. You're telling us to walk in love. That's how we walk. But why am I doing this? What's the point of walking in line with Jesus? What's the point of bearing my cross? What's the point of, uh, of walking in the desires of the Lord? Well, Romans 6 verse 4 lays that out for us. Look here. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead... By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I, I really believe what I'm about to say here. I believe that if a gun was put to your head, and someone said, deny Christ, or you take this bullet, I think most of you here would take the bullet. I really do. Now, not all of us would, but I think most of us would. You listening this morning? God's not asking you to die for Him. He's asking you to live for Him. He died for you so that you could be set free from the penalty of sin and then go forth and live for Him. That's why He died for you. He died so he could take the debt of sin and the penalty of sin and the slavery of sin away and give you a new life in Christ so that you could go forth and make the most of fulfilling the desires of God. What does someone have to do for you for you to feel such a debt of gratitude toward them that they say, listen, I want you to do this. And you say, you know what? You have not only earned the right to ask me, I'm going to go forth and I'm going to do it. What does that person have to do for you? If someone were to pay off your mortgage, if someone were to take care of your property taxes, if someone were to take care of your rent for the next 10 years, and then that person was out with you in the car, and they said, you know what, I'm feeling a little hungry. Could, could, you, could you buy me a hamburger? Would you look at them and say, what? Why would you ask me to do that? Well, you think I got money or something? They look at you and say, you better have some money. I took care of your mortgage payment. Right? I mean, I took care of your rent payment for 10 years. The least you can do is buy that person a hamburger. Listen, Jesus didn't pay off your mortgage 
He paid off your sin debt. He took care of your eternal punishment in hell. He forgave you of the greatest debt that could ever be owed. And He looks at you and He says, live your life for Me. This is the why that we walk in the steps of Jesus because He has earned that right to tell us to do so. God is not asking you today to die for Him. He's asking you to live for Him. He's asking you to see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. If we're going to figure out the unknown will of God, we must first monitor our steps. You see, if we're walking that direction and God wants us to walk that direction, we should not be surprised when God does not reveal His unknown will uh, will in our lives. We see how we walk and why we walk. Let her see, notice, where we walk, where we walk. First uh, John, I'm going to read this one to you. Uh, don't feel like you have to turn over there. First John chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, the apostle wrote, he said, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Um, we are on a search to find God's unknown will. And if we're stumbling around in the darkness of our sin, we're never going to find it. Never going to find it. Never going to find it. You must be walking in the light of truth. Now, I've used this illustration several times, and my pastor when I was a child was an old man, and he, this was his favorite illustration. I don't remember a lot of his other illustrations, but this one has stuck with me and will to my grave. And so you've heard me use it before if you've been t- attending here long. But hang in there, because it, it fits so well into this point. All right? If I come out in the parking lot tonight after church, and let's say it's dark out, and Mike Scarpetti is sitting in his car out here. Everyone's gone. It's 10 o'clock at night. He's got his headlights on. He's sitting behind the wheel. He's got his hands on the wheel. I walk over to Mike, and I say, Mike, what are you doing? And Mike says, well, I'm not, I can't go home because I can't see my way all the way home. And I said, what do you mean you can't see your way all the way home? He says, well, my headlights only shine out about 15 feet. And beyond that, I, it's dark. And I can't see beyond that. So I, I can't go home because I'd say, Mike, watch this now. Use the 15 feet of headlight you have. And when you get to the end of that, you're going to have 15 more feet of headlight. And you get to the end of that, and you're going to have 15 more. And you know what? You're going to pull up in front of your house after you follow that pattern, and you're going to make it home safely in the dark. A lot of times we sit here, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life, and so instead of doing what we can, we do nothing. We're paralyzed. And I would say, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Take the light that you have. Take the known will of God that you have, and walk in in the light. And you know what? One day, you look back over your shoulder 15, 20, 30 years later and all of the unknown wills of God reveal themselves to you along the way because each day you walked in the light. Our steps. Number two, notice our service. We're on a search to find God's unknown will. We must first examine our steps and then we must examine Our service. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 with me in your Bibles and look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is a quantitative verse. Redeeming the time. Time can be measured because the days are evil. Evil, likewise, can be measured. Because the quantity of evil around us is so great, we must use our time to live out the will of God. We must redeem the time. We must redeem the time. God's desire is that no man perish. No man perish. God's desire is that all men come to salvation. See 2 Peter 3.9. God's desire is for His disciples to use their resources, time being one of them, to see the world come to salvation. Uh, uh, turn over with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. And if you're, uh, if you're under the age of 30, make sure you turn over to Ecclesiastes 12. Everybody, but especially if you're under the age of 30, get over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. 
and verse number 1. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, if I have a bank account with a million dollars in it, which I don't, okay? Let me make that clear. I do not have a million dollars in the bank. I don't have anything close to a million dollars in the bank. Well, let's say I had a bank account with a million dollars in it, and I spent $100,000. You know what I can do? I can go out and I can earn $100,000 more dollars and replace that money spent, and I can get my bank account back up to a million. Watch this. Money that's spent can be replaced. Time that's spent can never be replaced. Time can never be replaced. I know you teenagers, just, many of you just got back from a conference where you heard a lot of preaching. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Look up here at me. Please, I want your attention. Look up here at me. I had a teenager raise his hand in a Bible class once. The young man's name is Jeremy. Jeremy asked me this. He said, he said, Mr. Lejeune, that's what they called me in that ministry. He said, Mr. Lejeune, he said, I get that, uh, that, that I should not do wrong because it will break God's heart. But I know God's grace will forgive me. And so because God's grace will forgive me, what's keeping me from running out and living my life how I want only to have God's grace forgive me later? Here's what I told him, and I'm going to tell you all the same thing. Listen, look up here. Look up here at me. Here's what I told him. I said, God's grace will forgive you, but the mark of sin and the pain of sin will never go away. Will never go away. God will forgive you, but you'll still have to live with the consequences of your choice. So many youth in our country today are running around doing what feels good. They're living a you-only-live-once lifestyle. They're having fun, and they're going to wake up one day in their 30s and 40s filled with regret, filled with sorrow, because they've hurt their lives, and they've hurt what they could have done for the kingdom of heaven. Teach us to number our days. Listen, you're 16, 15, 14, 17, 18, 19, 20. Listen, you only get to be that age once. Once a day is gone, it's gone. Once your youth is gone, it's gone. And you will never be able to get that back. So teach us to number our days. You serve God while you're young, while you have the resources and the energy to do so. Because a lot of the older folks in the room today, they don't have the strength you have. They wish they had the strength. They wish they could rewind the clock. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The wisest, richest man maybe to ever live, definitely the wisest, maybe the richest, said in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, he said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, Don't wait until you're old to serve the Lord. Don't wait. He said, remember your Creator when you are young. Remember your Creator uh, when you have energy and life and youth. And serve the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Listen, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But at any minute, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to step on the clouds. And the trumpet's going to sound. And those that are dead are going to come in Christ are going to uh, race to heaven. And those, the rest of us, we're going to meet the Lord in the cloud. I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes back, I wanted Him to catch me busy doing the service of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't want to have Him catch me sitting on my rear end being lazy. I don't want to have Him catch me living in some carnality and some sin. I don't want to have Him catch me uh, living some uh, lifestyle that doesn't please Him and rebellion to Him. I want the Lord Jesus to come down and say, that man right there is doing my desire in his life. That lady over there, she was doing uh, the Lord's desire, my desire in her life. When God comes back, I want Him to catch me being busy about the work of the Lord. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And oh, how evil the day is. There is a war going on for our youth. Scorners understand quite well 
that most adults have their minds made up on moral truth and their minds will not be changed. But they also understand that children are blank pages and if they can get hold of the hearts of our children and write their agenda and write their evil and write their sin on their hearts, that they can take full advantage of them. You youth, guard your heart against that. Give your heart to the Lord. He'll never let you down. Our steps, our service, we're trying to find God's unknown will. Notice number three, our sensibility. Our sensibility. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5 with me in verse number 17. And here's our key verse in the passage. Wherefore be ye not unwise. Read the rest of the verse with me. Here we go. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. You're not to be unwise, wandering around, not sure what God's will is, God's desire for you is. You're to understand what that is. Turn over to Numbers chapter number 22. Numbers 22, and look at me at verse number 9. We're going to read a story here. Uh, Quickly, to give you the backstory. the Israelites are marching across the desert. God has them marching in the shape of a cross. If you didn't know that the Israelites were marching through the desert in the shape of the cross, go back into Numbers and read how God assigned them by tribe to march around the tabernacle, and you'll numerically figure out that they were marching through the desert in the shape of a bird's eye view of a cross. And here they are marching through the desert in the shape of a cross, and uh, the Moabitess king Balak decided that he wanted to curse God's people. And so he found a man uh, named Balaam and sent for him to come forth and curse God's people. Now, it is my opinion, and I know people who disagree with this, it is my opinion that Balaam was not a prophet of God, but Balaam was a man who was involved in the occult. And Balaam was a man who was used to give uh, curses and drum up Curses, But Balaam also, being part of the occult, knew who God was and knew who God's people was and knew that he could not uh, do that without God's permission. Look at Numbers 22 and look at verse 9. And we're going to read down through verse 22 with little to no comment. The Bible says, And God came unto Balaam and said, um, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent, them, sent, uh, sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which covered the face of the earth. Come now, curse me then. Preadventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. It was not God's desire or God's will for Balaam to do this. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak. And said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. And I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Balaam answered and said unto the servant of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Now, God has already told Balaam what? Two-letter word. What did God tell Balaam? No. Now, he's being offered great wealth and great honor, and so now he's going to revisit the decision. Look at 20. And God came into Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But uh, yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt, uh, that thou shalt do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an advisory against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And if you want to read a funny story, when you get home, keep reading the passage, because you're going to see a donkey talking and Balaam getting hurt. Okay, It's quite humorous, and you can read that later. What was God's will for Balaam? No. Do not go. Balaam had a hard time taking no for an answer. Now, let me put some of you in the spot that, uh, that God was in. All right? How many of you here ever had your kids come to you and say, Can I sleep over at such and such's house? Please. And you look at them and you give them a really firm answer. No. 
He sulked for the next four hours. Put you on a guilt trip. Then they come back. All my friends get to sleep over and you never let me. You're a prude. Maybe they don't say that, but they imply it. They make you feel that way. All right. You can go. Is it your will for them to go? Are you giving them permission? Should you be giving them permission? Here God told Balaam, no. And Balaam, oh, no, can't go. Balak comes back and promises honor and wealth. God says, all right. You can go, but I'm going to give you the words to say, and you will only say what I put in your mouth. And Balaam goes, and God gets angry at Balaam for going. How many of you here ever gotten, how many kids here ever gotten permission from your parents to do something? You knew they didn't want to give you permission, but they did. And then after you started doing it, they gave you a big attitude because you went through on it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's how God felt toward Balaam right here. I gave you permission, but I really didn't want you to go. That's why he got his foot smashed. Write this down. It is never God's will to go against God's word. It is never God's will to go against God's word. Never. Well, God told me that I could get divorced and remarried. Probably not. Jesus is very clear on that. Very, very, very clear on that. Well, God told me I could, I could put this substance that's harming me in my body. Probably not. Probably not. Your, temple's a body, your, your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're to honor that temple. Well, well, God told me I could go in my boss's office and let him have it. Probably not. God told me I didn't have to obey my parents anymore. Nope, I guarantee you he didn't do that. It is never God's will to go against God's word. Next, it is never God's will to criticize God's people. Never God's will to criticize God's people. Balaam is... Stop and think about how asinine this is. Balaam is asking God, Can I have permission to go curse your people? Uh, no. Please? I mean, I get to be wealthy over this, please. It is never God's will to criticize God's people. Hey, Christians need to be careful about their supposed prayer request. Right? Well, pray for brother such and such. I heard that... Well, pray for sister such and such. I heard that, you know, she's got a problem with us. She just needs us to pray for her. Never God's will to criticize God's people. It is never God's will to seek revenge. Someone's hurt you and done you wrong. It's never God's will for you to seek revenge, ever, ever. Balak is trying to get back at the Israelites. No, it's never God's will for you to seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It is never God's will to go for personal gain. When I, uh, when I, when I was an assistant pastor in the previous ministry prior to here, uh, the church was in great debt. Uh, great debt. Uh, they uh, they had built a building under a previous pastor that was a, a five million dollar facility. The monthly mortgage payment was twenty nine thousand five hundred a month. That's like a that's like a almost a staff salary position every a yearly staff salary position every month. Not quite, but close. When I went to be part of that ministry, I was not promised any pay. Eventually, they brought me on to the, the paid staff, and my, my salary, I was including housing, so I had a house on top of this, but my salary was just under 20000 a year. That was, that's what I was paid prior to being the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, $20,000 a year plus a house to live in. Let's just say when I was voted in to be the pastor here, I was given a raise. I don't make 20000 a year anymore. Do you know that I didn't take the position at White Oak Baptist Church for what they were paying me? I took the position at White Oak Baptist Church because it was God's will for me to come here and pastor this church. Just because you are getting personal gain, does, in God's will, does not make it wrong. Your motive would make it wrong. I'm switching jobs, not because God told me to. I'm switching jobs because I'm going to get three more dollars an hour. Well, are you going to start missing church on Sunday? Well, that's besides the point. I get three more dollars an hour. How many times do people switch jobs for a pay raise only to get there and find a nightmare of a work culture? 
And had they prayed, they would have realized it was never God's will. We must be sensible in this. Sensible does not mean that I'm going to dictate to God in my life. Sensible means that God's going to dictate to me. Uh, let me give you this illustration I used some time back. Um, uh, what is sensible is to give God a blank sheet of paper with our signature at the bottom. Lord, you tell me what you want me to do. Here it is. Here's my life. You write on there where you want me to work, what you want me to buy, what you want me to wear, where you want me to go, who you want me to marry, how you want me to live. It's not my life. It's yours. My signature's at the bottom. Write on there what you want. Can I tell you how most of us do it, though? We say, uh, Lord, here's my plans for my life. Could you please sign right here? Could you please just sign right here? Here's who I'm going to marry, and here's where I'm going to live, and here's where I'm going to work, and here's what I'm going to do with my life, and here's how I'm going to serve at church, and here's how I'm not going to serve at church, and here's where I will serve the Lord, and here's where I won't serve the Lord. Lord, would you just sign on the dotted line right here? And you expect to find God's unknown will for your life like that? We're not being sensible. We're being selfish. Our steps, our service, our sensibility. Notice number four, our spirituality. Our spirituality. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 18. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, to the degree that alcohol alters the man's behavior when he is drunk, to that same degree, the Spirit of God wants to alter your behavior. What does, that, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, it means that you are led by the Spirit of God in your attitudes and in your ambitions. Uh, turn over to Philippians chapter 4. You're in Ephesians. Turn over one book to the right. Just a handful of pages. Quickly, Philippians 4. Look at verse number 3. I'm going to begin reading. We're going to read 3 down through 5. Catch up with me when you get over there. It says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. This is someone who's seeking to serve God. True yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with others, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Look here. Let your moderation... Your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Christians should be defined by moderation. Moderation. We are not to live ostentatious or gaudy lifestyles. We are not to be known by how we indulge our flesh. Someone shouldn't look at you and say, Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know him. He spends X amount of dollars on alcohol every month. Oh, man, he's the life of the party at the bar. Oh, man, I mean, you, you want to have a good time? Man, she's, she's got the good stuff. Let me tell you. Go see her. She's got the good stuff. And that guy over there, he is known for how, how sensual and lustful he is. And in the world, that's celebrated. They wear pride around their neck like a chain, the Bible says. Christians, we're not to be known by that stuff. We're to be known by being moderate. We're to live by two principles, the principle of prohibition. If God says no, then I won't do it. If God says no, then I won't do it. We're to be known, we're to live our lives by the principle of moderation. If God allows it, then I will enjoy it in moderation. I will enjoy it in moderation. When God says no, then I say no. Where God says yes, then I say I will do it in moderation. The Spirit of God is leading the way uh, uh, in, in, the, in the one who seeks to find the unknown will of God. Quickly, Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Romans 8, we're almost done. I'm on the last half of the last page of my sermon notes here. Look at Romans chapter 8. Hang in there with me. Uh, engage with me just a little bit more. I've got one more solid truth I want to drive home. Look at Romans chapter 8 and look at verse, verse number 12. The Bible says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. For as many as are led 
by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Uh, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You cannot and will not find the unknown will of God if you are living a life led by the base desires of your flesh. Let me just put it to you this way. Listen. If you don't know how to say no to the flesh, you're not going to find the unknown will of God. You're not. Well, I want to look at my phone. Have you ever wanted to look at your phone and put it down and walked away and said, I'm not going to look at my phone? Oh, now I'm meddling. How many hours a week do you spend looking at Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media platform you're on? Are you addicted? Some of you have been checking your Facebook while I've been preaching. You're so addicted, you can't even make it through a 45, 55-minute long sermon. For those of you that say, Pastor needs to preach shorter sermons, uh, baseball games aren't cut shorter. Football games aren't cut shorter. Movies are still two and a half to three hours long. I think we can have an appetite for an hour-long sermon. We have to say no to the flesh. We have to say no to the flesh. Or you're not going to find God's unknown will. You, can, you must learn that you don't owe the flesh anything. Boy, you owe the Spirit of God everything. Here's a quote I want you to write down. The man who walks with God, or woman, put your gender down accordingly. The man who walks with God always arrives at his destination. The man who walks with God always arrives at his destination. Here I am walking through high school, wondering where I should go to college. Lord, I'm not sure. This college or this college. I I continue to walk with the Lord and bathe it in prayer. Lo and behold, He makes it very clear to me that I'm to go to this college. And I I end up at that college and and, and I'm wondering, Lord, uh, do you want me to get married after college? And if so, uh, who would you have me marry? And I I date this girl and I date this girl. I ask this girl and I ask And none of these are working out. Lord, show me who you want me to marry. And lo and behold, God drops my future wife in front of me and I begin to date her because I'm walking with the Lord. I'm spending time with Him and I get married. And then I get out of college and, Lord, where would you have me work? And this door closes and that door closes and that door closes. And lo and behold, this door over here opens and then another door opens and then another door opens. And the next thing you know, I'm 38 years old and I'm married to God's will. I'm doing God's will and I'm living God's will. Why? Because as a 16-year-old boy, why? I didn't always get it right. I maintained a tender heart for God and I said, I will walk in the light and you will show to me. Uh, is it going to be God's will for me to pastor White Oak Baptist Church? until I'm, I'm dead and gone. I don't know that. I hope so. But I may wake up one day and say, God wants me somewhere else. If that happens, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. I'm just concerned about living in the light today. Today. The man or woman who walks with God. Walk with God. And the unknown will will be revealed to you in God's time. Number five, and lastly notice, our song. Our song. Now, I I think I've probably heard these verses in reverse my whole life. The the, the being filled with the Spirit of God was always portrayed as, if you speak and sing uh, and give thanks, then you will be filled with the Spirit of God. I think that rather this is a fruit of being filled, not a way to be filled. And you Bible theologians can debate with me on that later. Um, I'm beginning to lean very hard that direction. Look at verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs... Singing and giving melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our, our song service today was powerful. Just powerful. We opened with majesty and then the choir sang, How Great Thou Art. I had nothing to do with song selection. And then we sang, My chains are gone, I've been set free. And complete in Thee, O blessed thought. Can I tell you, if God has never really done much in your life, you probably either didn't sing or it didn't mean much to you. But if God has been doing a work in your life, you were walking in the will of God, then you stood there a few minutes ago and tears possibly ran down your cheeks or welled up in your eyes or a love for God welled up in your heart. Why? 
Because you are living within the desires of the Lord. You can't help but sing about the Lord when He's done so much for you. How about it, Christian? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you walking in the known desires of God? Because when you do that, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in, year in, year out, you end up finding the unknown will of God. In His time and in His way. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of you here, the starting point is very simple. You need to begin to include God in all of your decision making. That's where you need to begin. Some of you haven't even been doing that. You switch jobs and buy houses and buy cars and and do this and do that, and not one word of prayer is offered up to God. You're not even considering the fact that God has an unknown will for your life. For you this morning, the commitment is simple. Lord, help me to include you in my decision making. Help me to take these things and make them a matter of prayer. Others of you here this morning, you are wanting God's will on one side, but you're playing on the other side of the fence in the devil's playground. And it's time that we give our heart to the Lord fully and wholeheartedly. Who here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, something in this sermon today, the Spirit of God used to convict me and show me where I need to get something right in my life. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Pray that God would help me today. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. Pray God shows His unknown will to me in my life. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going through some trials in my life? Going through some struggles? I just need to know God's by my side as I go through this hardship. Would you pray for me, Pastor Lejeune, as I struggle through this trial? Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Going through some hardships and some trials and some struggles. See your hands. Lord, be with those who are hurting. Lord, guide them and help them. Be very near and dear to them and draw them close to your heart during this time. Be with the remainder of our service. Be with our invitation. Lord, help us to make real, true, hearted decisions that will alter our behavior and our living before you. Lord, help us to be people who have a heart for God a heart to follow your desires in our life, your will in our life, in Jesus' name.